Well, again, good morning. It's great to see you on this family worship weekend. I'm so glad that you're here. I do want to issue just a bit of a warning real quick. Um, I noticed this morning that out in the commons, we have dumb, dumb suckers available for everybody. And I feel like I need to issue a warning because of something that happened to my son Judah uh, just the last couple weeks. Two stories, actually. I have a bubblegum flavored dumb, dumb sucker uh, to tell you about two things that happened to my son in the last couple weeks. Uh, First of all, a couple weeks ago, uh, late one night as he was getting ready for bed, we were getting him ready for bed, he thought it would be a good idea to see what bubblegum flavored Tylenol tasted like. And so I got the joy of spending six hours with him in the emergency room. He's totally fine. Thankfully drank just a tiny little bit. Uh, But that's the bubblegum. And then just a few days ago, uh, he had a dum-dum sucker in the car the sucker portion came off of the stick, got lodged in his throat, and my wife got to uh, save him. And so be warned, uh, please don't do that. We do have medical professionals here in the sanctuary in the event that that happens, but we would rather it not. So be careful with your dumb, dumb suckers. But here's the thing, it actually fits in really well with what we're gonna talk about this morning. Um, Because as my son was choking on the dumb, dumb sucker, Later, once he could speak again, he told my wife, I thought I was going to go to heaven. (laughs) Um, And praise God that he understands that, uh, that he learned a lesson in life and death. And he learned a lesson about what happens to us when we die if we've trusted in Jesus as our Savior. Um, I'm glad he didn't go to heaven that day, but I'm glad he's prepared when that day inevitably comes. And that's the day we're gonna talk about together this morning. We're gonna talk about heaven together. And as you think about heaven, truly what a tremendous place it will be. But one of the realities we live with every single day of this life is that this life and this world pales in comparison to what eternity will be. You and I live in a constant state, if we're honest, of disappointment with this world, with this life. But I love the comforting words of C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He said that if we find in ourselves these unfulfilled desires, what it ultimately proves to us is that we were created for another world. And the truth is, you and I were created for another world. Nothing in this life is ultimately going to satisfy us. And all of our unfulfilled desires and longings ultimately point to the world to come. And it's to that that I want us to take a look this morning as we wrap up our series going through our doctrinal statement. We've been asking a number of questions throughout this series, and the question we're going to ask and answer this morning is, how is this story going to end? The story of the world, the story of human existence, the story of the Bible, how ultimately is this story going to end? And to answer that question, I want you to open your Bible to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to use Revelation chapter 21 this morning. We're going to look at the text. Then we're going to talk about the theology of what we here at Grace Bible Church believe about the end of the world. 
And then we'll talk about the takeaway or the so what, what difference does it make? So grab your Bible. Let me read for you Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to start out by reading verses 1 and 2. John says here in Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So here at the, the end of the book, at the end not only of the Bible, but at the end of the book of Revelation, we see the answer to the question, how is this story going to end? And notice here in verses one and two that John opens his eyes and he sees. He sees a new heaven and a new earth because the first heaven, the first earth, the one we live in today has passed away. So the earth that you and I live in today, John says, has passed away, and he sees now a new heaven and a new earth. The word for new here, by the way, describes something superior than the old, something different than the old, something more impressive, something even beyond what we can uh, uh, value or really understand. He sees something entirely new, a new heaven and a new earth. And then notice in verse three, not only does he see something new, but he hears something new as well. In verses three and four, it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne, that's the throne of God in heaven, saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. What I want you to notice is in verses 1 and 2, John sees a new heaven and a new earth. And in verses three and four, he now hears what it is that makes this new heaven and new earth so significant. If you're familiar with the book of Revelation or end times, you've probably heard the Bible talks about a heaven and there's streets of gold and there's all the precious jewels and things like that. But the most significant thing about heaven is not what it looks like, but the most significant thing about heaven is the one who is there. I love the words of D.L. Moody. He said, it's not the jeweled walls or pearly gates that's gonna make heaven attractive. It's being with God. And notice here in verses three and four, when John hears this voice, the voice says, the tabernacle of God is among men. He, God, will dwell among them. They shall be his people and God himself will be among them. I mean, once again, can you imagine just how incredible this is going to be? How incredible it'll be when truly there is no more sickness, there is no more disease. As John describes here, there's no more crying or weeping or mourning. The old things, the things of this world have passed away. When for all eternity, we, the people of God, will dwell with our Lord, with our Creator. 
thankfully, John, in the next verses, he tells us really how we get there. If we want to live in this new heaven and new earth, the new Jerusalem that John describes, he tells us in the next verses, verses five and six, how it is that we get there. Notice John here writing, still quoting the voice of the one on the throne, God himself, verses five and six, he says, and the one who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, right, for these things are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And notice this, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. See here in this new heaven and new earth and this new Jerusalem, one of the things John sees in the book of Revelation is this, this spring of water the spring of water welling up to eternal life. And I want you to notice the phrase here in these verses that the one who is thirsty can come and drink from the water without cost. Without cost. This really goes back to what we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about the gospel that Jesus laid down his life for you and for me. He paid the penalty you deserve and I deserve, this penalty of sin, this penalty of death, of separation from God. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, he took upon himself that penalty that we deserve. It cost him everything so that you and I can enjoy this blessing of living with God forever and ever without cost. It's free to you, it's free to me because Jesus laid down his life. And listen, for those of you in this room, those of you watching online, if you've never trusted in Jesus for your salvation, if you don't know with certainty that when you die that you will be with him forever and ever, I wanna give you the opportunity right where you are to put your faith, your trust in the one who laid down his life for you. Or as John says it here, to drink from the water of life without cost. Again, as you take a step back and, and look just at what John is saying here, this is really the ultimate destination where we as people who have trusted in Jesus, where we are ultimately headed, this new heaven and new earth. But as you look at other passages in the book of Revelation and especially in the New Testament, some places in the Old Testament as well, there's a lot of other things that happen really before that final and ultimate day. And so for the next few minutes here on this table, I'm gonna lay out for you a sequence of events that the Bible presents that ultimately bring us to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. So there on the backside of your outline, I've given you, I've provided for you a breakdown of what our statement of faith says about eschatology or end times or the end of the world. And let's go through this together for the next few minutes, break it down section by section. Now there's really two statements, two separate statements in our statement of faith regarding end times. But I propose that we bring these together really under one statement. But let's break down these two statements phrase by phrase to understand 
and answer that question, how is this story going to end? So let me read for you first that first section entitled, The Second Coming of Christ. It says, we believe in the personal, imminent coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his own, the church, and his subsequent premillennial return to earth to set up his kingdom. Now let's pause right here. I recognize this morning that some of you, we all have varying degrees of end times knowledge. And so some of these words to you might be a little bit confusing, especially some of you younger kids in the room. You may not know what some of these big words mean. So I'm gonna make it really simple for all of us this morning, okay? Uh, really simple for all of us this morning. That's the table and my little bag of goodies here, all right? Uh, so I've got a little bag of goodies that is gonna visually lay out what each and every one of these phrases in our doctrinal statement really means. And the first one there, notice it says, we believe in the personal, imminent coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his own, the church. Now this particular phrase describes another word in the Bible called the rapture. I'm sure you've heard about the rapture. The rapture is that moment And notice our statement of faith says it's imminent, meaning it could happen at any time. I mean, by the end of this service, what we read about here could take place. Nothing is preventing the rapture from taking place. Now, the Bible talks about this event, and it says that the Lord Jesus is going to come in the clouds, right? You're probably familiar with this. So I have here for you a object lesson here, a little cloud, all right? This is very sophisticated uh, theology. Um, So this little light-up cloud represents this phrase in our doctrinal statement describing the personal imminent coming of the Lord Jesus. This is when in a moment, at any moment, Jesus could come for his own, the church, and take us up into the clouds, into heaven with him. That's what this means. But then notice the next phrase in our doctrinal statement says, we also believe and we believe his subsequent, meaning after, premillennial return to the earth to set up his kingdom. Now there's a lot of big ideas here in this second phrase. First of all, we believe in his subsequent, meaning after, pre-millennial return to the earth to set up his kingdom. So notice there's a difference between the rapture and the return, right? Now we all know if you've read the book of Revelation, you probably know that at the return, how is Jesus gonna come at his return? On what animal will he ride? A white horse. All right, so we have a white horse. Um, So we have the rapture in the clouds. We have the return or the second coming on the white horse. And these are two events. Now there's something not stated in our doctrinal statement that I want you to understand. And that is between these two events, there's an event, a period of time, seven years long, called the tribulation. The majority of the book of Revelation 
really is about the tribulation period. And during the tribulation period, the earth, this earth, the one we read about in chapter 21 that has passed away, this earth undergoes a tremendous amount of suffering that comes in the, the form of the wrath of God. The wrath of God is poured out on the earth, and because of that, the earth is going to have a lot of band-aids on it, all right? <laughs> so this is the missing piece of the puzzle I want you to understand. We have the rapture that could happen at any moment. Shortly after that will be the seven-year period of tribulation of God's wrath being poured out on the earth. And then what's going to end the tribulation is the second coming of Jesus. And notice our statement of faith says that the second coming of Jesus, he will set up his kingdom. This is often called, this is a temple, by the way, the, a model of the temple. Um, but this is called the millennial kingdom. It's a thousand-year period when Jesus himself will rule and reign physically on the earth. And so again, just notice in this first part of our doctrinal statement, we have a lot of very important elements. We have the rapture, which will happen before the tribulation. This is called a pre-tribulational or before the tribulation rapture. Then we have the second coming that is gonna happen before the millennium. This is why you may have heard the word premillennial return. Pre meaning before, we believe the return of Jesus will happen before pre that thousand year kingdom on the earth. Does this make sense? There are a lot of six year olds here in the room. I, I think hopefully I've caught your attention. I've captured your attention here with all my cool toys. Um, so this is the first major section of our doctrinal statement. Now let's take a look at that second one. Notice there's a very lengthy statement in our statement of faith called the eternal state. The eternal state here in our statement of faith describes a couple of things. It really describes the fate, the destiny, the outcome of both believers, those who have trusted in Jesus, and the fate, the outcome, the destiny of unbelievers. And so let's look at this one section at a time. First, what, is, what do we believe here at Grace about the fate, the destiny of believers, people who have put their faith, their trust in Jesus. Let me read this for you. It says, we believe that the souls of those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus for salvation do at death immediately pass into his presence and there remain in conscious bliss until the resurrection of the body, note, at his second coming for, or at, excuse me, at his coming for the church, when soul and body reunited shall be associated with him forever in glory. So let's look at this phrase for just a minute. This phrase really is describing the fate of people who have trusted in Jesus. That if you or I were to die today, if we were to choke on our dumb, dumb sucker and die today, we believe that immediately, at the moment of death, if you've trusted in Jesus, you immediately pass into his presence. 
and you remain there in his presence in conscious bliss until the resurrection of the body when Jesus comes at the rapture for the church. We believe that at this moment, at the rapture of the church, those who have already died will be resurrected from the dead. But before that happens, if you were to die today, you will be in the very presence of God himself. And then notice the last phrase, at his coming for the church when soul and body reunited shall be associated with him forever in glory. That phrase forever in glory ultimately points to what we read about in Revelation 21. This new heaven and new earth. We immediately go into God's presence but ultimately, we bypass this and go into the new heavens and new earth. I have something to describe the new heavens and new earth. It's another globe. This one's much prettier, and it doesn't have Band-Aids on it. Um, but ultimately, if you've trusted in Jesus, this is your ultimate destination. And that's what this particular portion of our doctrinal statement is emphasizing. This is kind of the outcome, the destiny of Christians. Now let's take a look at the second part, the sad part about the outcome or the destiny of those who have not trusted in Jesus. Picking up midway there in this second section on the eternal state, it says, we believe the souls of unbelievers remain after death in conscious misery until the final judgment of the great white throne at the close of the millennium when soul and body reunited shall be cast into the lake of fire, not to be annihilated, but to be punished with everlasting separation from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now this is the sad portion of our statement of faith. That the reality is there are people who will live this life and never trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And our statement of faith explains, we believe that if a person dies today, having not trusted in Jesus, notice they will remain after death in conscious misery. In conscious misery. Until the final judgment of the great white throne at the close or the end of the millennium. So I have a white throne here for you to display this. Thank you to my children for allowing me to borrow this. Um, but the book of Revelation talks about a, a period called the great white throne judgment. When those who have died and have rejected Jesus will be resurrected, they will stand before him at this event called the great white throne judgment. And here, notice that as the outcome of the great white throne judgment, notice body and soul will be reunited and cast into the lake of fire, not to be annihilated, but to be punished with everlasting separation from the presence of the Lord. Here's the lake of fire for you. Um, so this, if you take a step back, is a visual outline of what our church believes about the end times. 
We believe that at any moment, any of us could die. And that if we die, we will be in the presence of God himself. But we believe that if today Jesus came at this event called the rapture, that those who have trusted in him will meet him in the clouds and forevermore will enjoy his presence. Those who remain will go through this seven-year period of tribulation, of God's wrath being poured out that will end only when Jesus comes back at the second coming on the white horse and establish his thousand-year kingdom on the earth. After his thousand-year kingdom on the earth, those who have rejected him will be resurrected from the dead. They'll stand before him and they'll be cast into the lake of fire. And what will ultimately remain for those of us who have trusted in him is we will live with him forever and ever in a new heaven and new earth. This ultimately is what we believe here at Grace about the end of the world. So let's look at number three on your outline in our remaining few minutes here and talk about the so what. What difference really does all of this make? Other than me keeping the Amazon business in, or Amazon in business as I ordered all this stuff in the last week, what, what difference does this really make? I have two major takeaways for you as you consider what the Bible says and what we believe here at Grace about the end times. The first thing I want you to understand is hope. Ultimately, a study of the end times is about more than just how you line out the items on this table. It's about more than how you draw out your end times chart. Ultimately, a study of end times or eschatology or the end of the world is supposed to produce in us people who have trusted in Jesus. It's supposed to produce in us tremendous hope. Because the world in which we live, this broken world in which we live, it will one day pass away. And our hope is in that day when we will stand before our Lord where he will come for his own, for his church, and ultimately for that day when we will live with him forever and ever. That heaven, or the new heaven and the new earth, when we really consider what the Bible says, it should leave us with tremendous hope. One pastor, Stephen Lawson, has described heaven as the place of no more. Let me read this to you. He says, there will be no wars, no financial worries, no emotional heartaches, no physical pain, no spiritual flatness, no relational divisions, no murders. There will be no tears, no suffering, no separations, no starvation, no arguments, no accidents, no emergency departments, no doctors, no nurses, or maybe no need for doctors or nurses. No heart monitors, no rust, no perplexing questions, no false teachers, no financial shortages, no hurricanes, no bad habits, no decay, no locks. We will never need to confess sin. We'll never need to apologize again. We'll never need to straighten out a strained relationship. We'll never have to resist Satan again. We'll never have to resist temptation again. Never. When we think about how this story is ultimately gonna play out, it should lead us to a place of tremendous hope. But also as we look back over the events on this table, as we look primarily to this event, the rapture of the church, 
when we realize that it, sh- it could happen at any moment. The second takeaway for us this morning is that a study of the end times should produce within us an incredible readiness. A readiness. Throughout the New Testament especially, it urges us to be ready for this day. That each and every day we live could be the day that Jesus returns for his church and we are to be found ready, to be found faithful, to be living in anticipation of that moment when we could stand before him, that we realize that we are at the dawn of a new day and we are to live ultimately for the day to come. This is why the vision for Grace Bible Church is that When you stand before the Lord, you hear him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. I want you to live every single moment of your every single day in light of the fact that he could come back at any moment. So a study of the end time should do two things for us. It should produce within us a state of readiness and it should produce within us an attitude of hope. An attitude of hope. To close, I want to share with you just a quick story I read about a number of years ago, a pastor, Steve Brown, a story he told about the ugliest car he had ever seen. He told the story of the ugliest car he had ever seen. He said he was rusted out all over. He said that the muffler was loose and every time it hit a bump, the muffler would hit the concrete and sparks would go flying. He said there was rust all over the car. It had been painted over so many times you didn't know what the original color of the car once was. He said this was the ugliest car that you had ever seen, but the most notable thing about the car was a sign in the window. The sign in the window said, this is not an abandoned car. (laughs) Some of you might have a car like that. This is not an abandoned car. Likewise, a study of the end times is a reminder to us that this is not an abandoned world. This world is broken. It's filled with things that are not the way it should be or the way they're supposed to be. But a reminder of the end times, a reminder of the events on this here table is a reminder of the promise of God that this is not an abandoned world, that he, Jesus, is coming again ultimately, to bring us to live in a new heaven and new earth where we'll live with him forever and ever. And it's for that day that we long and for which we pray. If you would please pray with me. Father, thank you for the promise of a new heaven and new earth. Thank you, Father, that because you poured out your wrath on Jesus, we who have trusted in him can live this life in a state of hope, in a state of anticipation of the world to come. Father, I pray that each and every moment of each and every day, I pray for myself, I pray for each one here, that we would live with a longing of that day when we will stand before our Savior. Help us to be ready, help us to be faithful. I ask this for myself and for each one here, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen.